Everything about this moment in history seems uniquely designed to challenge our mental health. We are suffering, we need answers, and we need help. That's why I'm so thrilled to be partnering with Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound to host their new podcast series, Going There. I'm Dr. Mike Friedman, clinical psychologist and life coach. With Going There, I will talk with musicians who struggle with their mental health, just like us. After all, mental illness affects us all. And the same artists who have stepped up to share their wonderful work with us are now sharing the intimate details of their journey in living with mental illness. We are going to ask the tough questions, and we're going to have the difficult conversations, all so that we can learn from each other. But more importantly, to shine a light on the difficult topic of mental illness so that we can all come out of the darkness and get the care we need. So we hope you join us on this journey. Going there, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Consequence Podcast Network. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Utterstall. And I'm Mike Snoonian. And we are joined today by a special guest. She writes for The Spool, and she's the co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast. Gina, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much. We're so excited for you to join us today. Um, so this is a comfort horror episode, and we define comfort horror as the scary movies that don't really scare you. They actually make you feel good. And since Valentine's Day is looming, cue thunderclap, what better way to celebrate than with a bunch of goth writhing in Bram Stoker's Dracula? Not Bram Stroker's Dracula, although I will probably do that five million times. You could definitely be forgiven for making that connection. That's true. I mean, it is. I mean, you you don't even really need a porn parody Mm -hmm. of this movie because it's, you know. It's so just delightful. one one more nipple one mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly um but before we talk about all of that we are going to read a brief synopsis of the plot in case you haven't seen this or it's been a while so here is your spoiler warning <laughs> because spoilers never die sorry <laughs> i wasn't just letting you hang there Jen. i was taking a sip of water and uh I- you know, I have I, to admit, I, I was letting you hang there, Jen. I have to admit. Oh, no. Mike, yeah. you could see I was drinking water. I'm choosing to believe that, that was, you were, tr- oh, not blood. Like, I was going to, that was like the never drink wine, but, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. And try not to spit it out all over the place from hilariousness, right? Yes. 
And if you, uh, my, my unfortunate <laughs> podcast hosts are seeing me lean really close to the monitor. I'm trying to speak directly into my computer mic for this because my normal mic had is on the fritz for some unknown reason. So I apologize to everyone in radio land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's okay. It's crossed oceans of mics to join us today. <laughs> that, I'm sorry. Now I'm just picturing <laughs> an ocean of mic snooty and like. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Oh, <laughs> Okay, I will read the synopsis now. (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay. In 1400s Transylvania, Vlad Dracula leaves his love, Elizabeta, to lead his army in battle against the Turks, a.k.a. go and pay all a bunch of people. (laughs) Elizabeta is wrongly informed that Vlad was killed in battle. Stricken with grief, she jumps to her death from the palace tower. When Vlad returns, he is told by a priest that because she took her own life, Elizabeta's soul is damned to hell. Vlad vows revenge against God and stabs the cross. <laughs> I'm sorry, drinking, drink, drinking the blood that pours from it. I didn't know Christopher Walken was in. <laughs> I, you know, you never know. I, 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 I never, I never know what's going to come out of here. Uh, <laughs> this is how he becomes a Dracula. Flash forward oh. to London, 1897. A young solicitor named Jonathan Harker leaves his fiancee Mina to go to Transylvania and help Count Dracula with some real estate stuff. After taking a variety of old-timey forms of transportation, Jonathan arrives at a super scary castle and meets the clearly evil Count, Vlad Dracula himself, still alive, but old as hell, with huge hair and a shadow that just won't quit. (laughs) The Count sees a picture of Mina in Jonathan's wallet and realizes that she is the reincarnation of his love, Elisabetta. He leaves Jonathan with his brides, three writhing vampire women who can't get enough of his hot soliciting. The Count travels to London. Coincidentally, Mina's hot and horny friend Lucy is visited at night by a vampiric figure who bites her and begins the process of turning her into a bride of Satan. So I really, I'm trying to give as much Baroque detail and and voice in this as as the movie itself provides. Okay. I want to give a thunderclap sound every time. We we need the, like, the violin, the young Frankenstein violin playing. Um, Okay. Suddenly, Vlad is young again and hot-ish. He sucks. I'm sorry. No, I'll give you that. <laughs> Gary Oldman, he could go either way. You know, it's like depending on what, what angle. You know. Right, like be Carrie Elways or be gone. Right. You know? <laughs> he stalks Mina in the streets of old London town while wearing tiny Victorian sunglasses and a huge hat. After some seductive wolf play at a tent fair, the two begin a clandestine relationship. <laughs> I'm sorry. Meanwhile, Lucy is wasting away sexily. This is bad news for her three suitors, a doctor, a guy from Texas with a big knife, and Carrie Elwes. She finally decides to choose Carrie Elwes, because why wouldn't you? But the other two are still in love with her. And so it goes. There's also some Renfield stuff going on. Suffice to say, he's in an asylum, eating bugs, writhing in a straitjacket, and yelling a lot. Also, he is Tom Waits. Lucy's doctor pal calls his mentor Van Helsing to help. He technically does, mostly by showing them how to kill the newly undead Lucy by stabbing her in the heart with a stake and cutting off her head and making a bunch of weird comments and dry humping the guy from Texas. (laughs) Jonathan escapes and that did happen. I saw it happen. (laughs) Jonathan escapes and marries Mina, but she's still kind of into Dracula. After a bunch of commotion, the two have a green smoke-filled makeout sesh where Vlad begins the process of turning Mina into a vampire so they can spend eternity together. Sadly, their sexy time is cut short. The boys are back and Dracula flees to Transylvania. 
Jonathan Van Helsing, a teething Mina, and the rest of the crew <laughs> follow Dracula to Transylvania to destroy him so that Mina can retain her humanity. At last, they catch up to the Count at his snowy castle, but Mina's starting to turn into a vampire and against the team. Or maybe she's remembered that she's Elizabetha, it's unclear, but either way, she doesn't want them to kill Dracula. Though Mina tries to protect him by summoning blue flames, which I guess she can do, I don't know. Dracula is yeah. stabbed in the chest and mortally wounded. Mina drags him into the very chamber where he mourned the body of Elizabetha and stabbed God in the heart. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had a like more metal voice. I just I don't have that right. name. Stab uh, God in the heart. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to to release them all from this infernal purgatory, Mina lovingly stabs Vlad all the way through the heart and chops off his head. It's pretty sad, actually. Cue Annie Lennox. Yay! And every time I hear Andy Lennox, I always want to sing "Do ba do ba do do do." Ah, but it's not that song. It's another amazing song. <laughs> but it comes in my head every time. Yay! Okay, I love this movie so much, and I cannot wait to talk about it. It's just bonkers. All right, so now it's time for our feelings check-in, and this is where we share our first experience with the movie and how it makes us feel when we watch it. We think it's really important to practice identifying feelings and sharing them with others because that's um, where the self-awareness and communication comes in, and it's really important to practice that kind of stuff. I said that really weird, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) So, Gina, um, you and I were talking about this on Twitter a while ago, I think. And um, I so full disclosure, I picked this movie because I am obsessed with this movie and really wanted to watch it for Valentine's Day. Also, because I don't like Valentine's Day. So I would love to hear about your experience with this movie and how it makes you feel when you watch it. Um, I actually saw this in the theater when it came out in uh, (gasps) 92 um i actually saw twice (laughs) um uh, my 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 best friend and i went and um we absolutely we were just in tears at the end we're just like oh my god this is so beautiful (laughs) and and i was dating someone at the time and i insisted that he go see it with me a second time and he didn't think too much of it so i should have known right then and there that it wasn't going to work out Yep. <laughs> but uh but yeah, I I got obsessed with this movie. I bought all the uh the books that were about the, you know, all the behind the scenes stuff. There was an entire book that was about the costume design. Oh wow. Which I, I still wish I had because that just that those alone are just a work of art. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think it's one of those movies that uh, you know, you you say people say, Oh, you know, this is a hill that you'll die on. This is one of my hills. <laughs> that, that, that this is a a great movie you know it's it's yeah it's campy and it's corny and everybody is really overdoing their performances and yes you know Keanu and Winona's you know Victorian English accents are terrible but (laughs) I just think it's so you know so much love and care was put into this movie to just make it Mm -hmm. like something nobody's ever seen before as far as a rendition of Dracula that you just you got you. You have to love it. You have to love the ambition that went behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the term "going for it" I think yes. really applies. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. pretty close to. I mean, it's one of the only versions of Dracula that has Quincy P. Morris in it, who's actually a pretty major character mm-hmm. in the book, uh, to the point that um, 
uh, Mina and Jonathan named their child after him. And, oh wow! And he's just—he's just—he's really oftentimes just completely left out. Yeah, and you could—I mean, he's—I'm not sure that that character is given a full arc in no, this. But, I, but, but, I'm, but I'm glad that he's there. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, what about you? So I adore this movie. I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I remember getting it on VHS and like watching it a ton. And I do know it was one of the first three DVDs I bought. Like I remember the year DVD players came out, I like took my tax return and bought like an off the floor model, like first generation player from Sony and then bought Dangerous Liaisons, Raging Bull and Dracula were the first three DVDs <laughs> that I got that day and just watched it. And I actually wound up, cause I spent years like selling consumer electronics, like the scene where Keanu is waiting to get picked up by the carriage and then gets put in like I probably use that scene probably about 500 times if not more to like demonstrate here's what like really good surround sound can sound like because the design in that scene is so impeccable and gorgeous and like when I was re-watching this movie you know I've seen it 40 times it probably so I was kind of like kicking back a little bit and as soon as that moment came on I'm like nope let me sit up because like I love that moment and <laughs> there's just a lot to love about this which I'm looking forward to getting into but more importantly like for me like as a kid I for whatever reason was like fascinated with Vlad the Impaler mm -hmm. I got my hands on pretty much every book you could about him and reading about the historical Dracula and Stoker's inspiration. And our town's public library had this incredible occult section on the history of ghosts, werewolves, witches, demonic possession, and vampires. And this was the children's section of the library. Mm -hmm. Like it was the 80s, it was the say time of satanic panic. Like we got weird. <laughs> so I had like about a half dozen books I just checked out on a rotating basis, like reading about Vlad the Impaler. And I gotta say, like he's a fascinating figure, but he's also one of history's greatest villains. When you mm -hmm. read of the atrocities he committed, it's horrific. Like absolutely horrific. The other fun fact about the, my town's public library, I was very afraid of the toilet in that library. And when it <laughs> flushed, it was very scary. And I would uh. literally run, I would, I would like get a head start where I'd be like leaning away and like have my finger on the latch flush and then go sprinting out of the bathroom. Cause I thought it was like an it situation. I'm like, I'm going to get sucked mm -hmm. down the drain. So that's the, <laughs> nothing to do with this movie, but like, thinking about it brought me back to that for some reason so yeah there we are <laughs> laura what about you i love all of that we had kind of a similar probably trajectory mike i um for whatever reason this was one of the vhs tapes that my grandma always had laying around so i definitely saw it when i was like way too young probably right probably must have been like 93 or 94 whenever the vhs was available um so i was pretty young and i'm pretty sure this is where all my wires got crossed uh and why why i'm horny 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 for vampires but <laughs> I, I saw this around also the same time i was really into reading the Anne rice novels you know and so it was just this big gothic milieu and yeah we my mom 
because of my grandma also had all these like books on the occult and like weird esoteric subject matter. And there was one that had a big chapter on Vlad the Impaler. And so, you know, I was kind of, I would always be really scared of those books, but then go and read them and look at the like gross wood carvings. I think they even use one of them in the movie of all the people like impaled. I'm like, oh, those are the same ones from that book my mom had. So, you know, I have a very fond place in my heart for this movie. It had been a while since I rewatched it um, for, the, for this go around. So it was really refreshing to see it from uh, a sort of a new perspective, I guess. And I was able to really appreciate a lot about it that I never appreciated before, just like Gina was saying in terms of the ambition and the visuals. I mean, they're truly stunning. And I'm I'm just such a sucker for that like Victorian, like they do all these like mm -hmm. sort of conceptual gestures that are like about like the, the, you know, early filmmaking at the time with all those like, you know, pinhole wipes and scene transitions and like these kind and, and the, um, the matte backgrounds and stuff. I'm a, I'm a sucker for a matte painting backdrop. And I mean, everything about this is so gorgeous and lush and like just over the top. <laughs> and like, it's got some of that like 80, they reminds their scene with all the billowing cloth reminds me of uh, like the total eclipse of the heart music video. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but there's just so much in here that's, and Tom Waits. And I mean, I, I, but it is at the same time, so campy. Like, I think I started losing my mind laughing at the moment when Keanu as Harker is in the castle and then he's like, not sure what's going on and the brides have just attacked him and then Dracula takes out a baby. Oh. <laughs> and they're all and like- Feel like a pork roast. Yes, yeah. yeah. And he's just like, no, no. <laughs> and, and like, like I, I mm -hmm. lost my mind. And it's just like, it's so long, but it's so engaging. And the last thing mm. I'll say about it is it's, uh, my fr I was talking to a friend about it and they were like, one of the best Siskel and Ebert segments is on this movie because they disagree and they fight about it. And it's real. So everyone just go look up that Siskel and Ebert segment because it's, it's a real treat. Oh, if I can find it, I'm going to link it. I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's, it's out there. So. I don't remember the first time that I watched this, but I remember it coming out when I was in middle school and talking to a friend who had seen it. And she told us about the Lucy getting her head cut off, cut to the roast beef scene. And I was like, oh, well, this sounds fascinating. And I'd seen <laughs> the commercials. And I think for like this to me was one of the like too scary to watch movies. Like the imagery is so scary, like in all caps, like could be scary in the dictionary or something like it is just really gothic and really in your face. And so I like had this in my mind as one of the scariest movies of all time. I think before I saw it, don't remember seeing it, probably watched it around because I tried to read the book in high school and I love, love, love the story of Dracula and vampires are probably my favorite like supernatural creature, but I don't like that book. And I think it's mostly just because of the format, yeah. you know, it's just kind of I get bogged down in it. But I probably watched this around that time. Um, and then it just, and I was like, okay, well, this was fun. And I see, I, yeah, I remember all the Keanu talk and, you yeah, know, it's fine. And then I forgot about it for a while. And I saw it streaming about a year or two ago. And I just put it on. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> this is so over the top. It's like the perfect gothic imagery. Like no second is spared in this movie. It's like, oh, we got some, uh, some room on the screen. Let's just throw some Dracula eyes up there, you know? And I love every <laughs> second of it and it just like 
there's a magic to it because I think everybody is just going so hard. Um, even like the stuff that doesn't work, like even Keanu, like his gray hair with like the baby powder <laughs> on it cracks me up at the end, but like, I love it, you know? And then I was watching and I was like, holy shit, Carrie Elway's just showed up, which I love, love him. I think I said so. his name totally right. I can never say his last name correctly. Cause I get like, if I look at it, it's it just, anyway. it, it looks like it should be Elwes, and I could be saying it wrong. But, You're probably I mean. no. It felt right when you said it. That's why I commented on it. And now I will stop talking about it. <laughs> um, so it's just one of those movies. Now I will say I have seen the first hour of this probably about five times more than I've seen the entire movie. Like I feel, hey, and I love snow horror, but like I feel like it kind of comes to a halt after um, Lucy dies, and I'm just like, okay, we're still going. I'm still gonna watch it, but like. You know, that that first like 45 minutes is just magic. And especially the intro, like there's something about like the the not puppetry, but it's like the red sky and quotation marks like it's just the imagery is magic. And I eat it up like this is one of the movies where I really feel like I I drink in watching this. And I say that like I don't mean to make a pun, but it's like this movie, it's just like I don't want to miss a second of what's going on the screen because it's so like visually amazing. So, yep. Those are my feelings and I love them. <laughs> I also love a good anti-romance too. Oh, you know? same. I mean, as much as it like pains me to like know that I enjoy this kind of dynamic, I'm like watching this like, hell yeah, forbidden romance, like through exactly. the ages. Like, yeah, this just does it for me. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I'm working on a piece about like movies to watch alone on Valentine's Day or movies for people that don't like Valentine's because I just don't. Um, and this is one of the ones that I always think of first that and like Legends of the Fall. <laughs> it's like, just, you know, I, I definitely agree about it loses some steam at about 45 minutes in and then it picks it up mm -hmm. again with about 30 minutes or so to go. Like there's definitely and I got to say, I, I honestly think and we'll I guess we'll talk about it like it kind of coincides with Anthony Hopkins coming onto the screen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that might be part of it. Yeah. Oh, he just kind of like barrels right in there, just tearing oh. scenery off left and right. Oh. Like, I know. He, oh he might as well, like, he might as well just come in wearing his Oscar for Silence of the Lambs as a pendant around his neck, going, <laughs> I got an Oscar, bitches. I'm doing what right. I want. So. It's well, in the original synopsis, every time I talked about him or Anthony Hopkins disguised as a priest or like Anthony mm -hmm. Hopkins disguised as Van Helsing, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that cracked me up so much, but it's like he's just Anthony Hopkins all over the place. And it's I love it. Yeah. He, I, I think we were talking, we were texting about this movie. And, and I think I said like, one of you were like, I think, Mike, you said, um, what movie is he in? And then I was no. like, I don't think a single character is in the same movie. Right. <laughs> like they're all right. in different <laughs> movies, but going at like 100 yeah. percent velocity toward the horizon. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so speaking of now, let's uh, let's talk about specifics of the movie, although we kind of already have because there's just so <laughs> much. To talk about. To. Um, so, Gina, what would you say you really love about this movie or what is your favorite part? Um. Lisa, I just love how everything in it, from the costumes to the set design, everything is its own character, and <laughs> mm -hmm. and there's just so much going on, just you know, on the edges of the screen, and and you know the shadows are moving by themselves, and and it just it just creates such a sense of unease at all times. Like, like even when, even when they're just sitting there talking, it's just like, oh, it's gradually getting darker in the room while they're, 
while they're talking and they're just talking about they're going to a big party that evening and 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 it's just like it's such a sense of you know something is not right here something is corrupting and some of it is is very over the top like you know he you know like it, like there's a scene where where count dracula walks past some flowers and they kind of shrivel up and die like a <laughs> cartoon yes. mm-hmm. Which i love that i mean I, and again i i think that coppola put this stuff in here very deliberately yeah. because it was corny and, and and over the top i think he wanted something very theatrical so i think that you know when people criticize the movie for you know kind of being cartoonish at times i i think he meant that you know it completely mm-hmm. he talks a lot about in the making of the movie how he wanted to bring spectacle back and he wanted to do something that's why the costume design in particular like he basically told the designers like do whatever you want as long as it's not as long as it's different like don't give me like john carradine and bella lugosi from the universal movies don't give me christopher lee like do your own thing and just make it really stand out that's what he was going for and he talks about how this is his favorite story of all time and how as a camp counselor growing up like he would actually read the book to the kids when they were in their bunks at night and Winona Ryder actually brought him the script and she Mm -hmm. talks he talks about how she had to drop off unexpectedly from Godfather 3 and that kind of put him in a pinch and that's why Sofia Coppola is in her role in that movie in the Godfather 3 and he's so when Ryder approached him thinking you know he was going to be really angry with her and he's like I just didn't want to be mad at someone who was so young for my whole life like what's the point so she brought him the script and he lit up and he was like this is my favorite story of all time I really want to do this movie so I think the bombast is is a hundred percent there on purpose and it's a kind of spectacle that you Mm -hmm. don't get anymore in movie making unless it's like something from the Marvel universe Mm -hmm. or from Mm -hmm. Michael Mm -hmm. Bay and even those like they don't feel real. Like I like the Avengers movies, but nothing in there feels tangible. Yes. Every, you feels like you could reach into the screen and you can, like the way it was designed. He fired the effects team for saying, we want to do like digital effects. He's like, nope, we're doing practical. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. impossible. He's like, you know what else is impossible? You getting a paycheck from this movie, you're fired. <laughs> Um, wah, wah. Yeah. then he dracula laughs yep. <laughs> well, that's what you can do with some money i mean that's what i was talking about those matte the the, the colors mm-hmm. come so much from those matte backdrops and and it's mm-hmm. like and just the way that they layer yeah they layer like um things across the the perspective of the shot and um yeah the i also feel like it's this like sampler platter of all the things that i've seen and liked in vampire stuff yeah. that was leading up to that like the shadows i don't know if anyone is into like silent films and mm-hmm. older movies like maybe um carl dreyer's vampire mm-hmm. i think is a huge inspiration visually for this there's a oh, sequence yeah, in that where yeah mm-hmm, yeah and all these the shadows come to life and stuff like this but it's like he took all those things and then turned the volume up to 11 and mm-hmm. uh it's got that like i could just i could nerd out about this and i'm gonna stop talking oh, yeah. <laughs> no do it please do well the shadows are like my favorite i mean it's all my favorite but the, the shadows are what really really gets mm-hmm. because it's so creepy mm-hmm. it's great and it and i can't help but think of mr burns playing this role also <laughs> and like doing the yo-yo but i just love and i love the look of him when he's old i think i probably prefer old dracula better than young dracula mm-hmm. um but 
it's just so like it's got its own style, you know, and it just goes for it all the way. And it feels like it's weird because it does feel real, but it also feels like it's on a stage, you know, like there's an unreality to the whole mm-hmm. thing that is part of like the camp element. You know, It is. Everything was built. Um, uh, yeah, I was on a sound. Yeah, everything he specifically because he was like, I don't want weather to impact. Like he was determined based on his reputation to come in under budget. So he was like, we're not going to let the weather impact. We're not going to lose any shooting. So you're right. Everything. It does have that semi air of artificiality to it. But not mm-hmm. in a way that like a green screen does. Not in a way. That, no, uh, no. In a way that like I'm speaking to project to the back row yeah. kind of mm-hmm. thing. Right, you know? right. And it's keeping yeah. with the era and the things that were like the advent of of cinema at that time. Like they go into the little house and are watching the things and everything has mm-hmm. that like letterboxing edges on the side of it. It just feels like the ultimate yeah. fantasy like is being mm-hmm. served to you. Not to like co-opt drag language for this, but that's just mm-hmm. the vibe. It's like you have served me the perfect mm-hmm. vampire fantasy. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. it. Ah, well, Gina, you mentioned the costumes earlier. Can we talk about those? Because they're amazing. Like like I said, I was obsessed with uh, the book of the costume design. Mm -hmm. And the designer, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong, but Aiko Oshida, she she passed away a few years ago, unfortunately. Mm. But um, I don't know why she didn't come away from this with like a hundred awards I, i'm pretty sure she did get nominated nominated for an oscar but i think it's one of those things that because it's a horror movie they it gets overlooked and you know taken a little less seriously but the inspiration she found as far as the costumes like the one i that always stands out is lucy's burial gown mm-hmm. which is which was based on a frilled lizard <laughs> wow i think they just wanted something um kind of slightly inhuman uh-huh. Mm-hmm. and and it just you know it you see it and it just like sticks with you okay this is so weird why does she have this like thing over her head and and mm-hmm. and you know, obviously it was because to cover up the wounds on her neck but then mm-hmm. you've got um there's a scene early in the film i think when you it's when you're introduced to uh mina and lucy and you know if you look closely you can see mina's dress has leaves on them and lucy's has snakes Ooh. Ooh. And then, of course, you've got Vlad Dracul's uh, armor at the beginning mm. of the movie. Yeah, that Which muscle. amazing. It looks like muscle. Between, yeah. between this and the Tim Burton Batman movies, like, it was a big period for molded-on rubber muscle suits. <laughs> <laughs> I love that suit so much. And I have a big thing with skinlessness. Like it really, I don't like to watch it in movies. And this was like, this is skinlessness that I actually like mm-hmm. because that it's so striking and it's so unique. And the color, like the shade of red is so like matte and it's just mm-hmm. it's so cool. Everything, like so it. much care was put into everybody's yeah. outfit. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's just beautiful to look at. Well, and so Mina, not Mina, Lucy's dress, that's supposed to be her wedding dress, isn't it? I think so, but I think the headpiece is supposed to have been added later again to cover up the the wounds on her neck. Okay, because I have this thing (laughs) where I hate, I hope I'm not going to piss people off, but the movie Pretty in Pink, um, love that movie, but that dress at the end of Pretty in Pink just about ruins the movie for me because (laughs) I hate it so much. And if you love it, that's fantastic. Uh, doesn't work for me. And so I was watching this and I was like, that's her wedding dress. I wanted to see this really beautiful wedding dress. And then when she's in the coffin, when they're cutting her head off, it is the perfect 
thing for her to be wearing because it's so striking with the red blood and it's so like her face is so pale and it's like the fact that you only see her face and you can't see her like bright red hair it's just perfect in every way and the way it like the shape of it when she's walking down the stairs too I also crack up and I say this as a mother, but when she just drops that baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think uh, that like runs over there, like grabs the baby away. I know. <laughs> it's like, oh jeez. Hope their mom wasn't on the set for that. this. This did win. Um, it did win three Academy Awards, and it did win for best costume design. Oh, it did. Okay. It did. okay. And then best sound editing, and then best makeup and hairstyling, all of which are well deserved. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, and I would say, like, the other thing about this, like, the sound in this movie, I talked about that scene where Keanu is waiting for the carriage and just like the whistling of Dracula's arm when he's moving Keanu into the into the carriage, and then the wolves howling everywhere. And I would use this as a demonstration for like dipole speakers versus regular ones because you could actually it creates on a good this wall of wolf sounds coming from everywhere not like any pinpointed direction and just the crack of the thunder but also the moments where dracula would be speaking and you would hear these writhing noises this heinous laughter these screams like just underneath the surface of everything when he would speak and it was just so creepy and spooky and i love it i love it just just a little trivia on some of the screaming sounds um were added there was Gary Oldman and then they added additional ones from Tom Waits and then also Lux interior mm-hmm. from the cramps. Oh, beautiful. Um, so I, which I didn't know somebody was telling me about it and apparently Sofia Coppola, like one of her favorite bands is the cramps. And mm-hmm. so somehow that led to that happening, but I just love that. Like kind of like touch of just something else that I love being mm-hmm. woven into this. Just touched into yeah. It. When uh, Lux interior did the, when he lets out that scream, like right before the opening, uh, opening titles, that's mm-hmm. Lux interior. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, which I I now I want to actually because I didn't hear that until after I did this watch, so now I want to go back and rewatch just mm-hmm. just for that. <laughs> I would like to dig a little more into the dynamic between Winona Ryder and Dracula and Absolutely. that uh. that kind of romance in cinema or literature. Um, mm-hmm. It makes me feel like girlish and like he 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 I like it mommy give me more um but at the same time I find a lot of problematic elements in it um so Mm. I would just like to open the floor (laughs) to that I you know what like watching this again I kind of like was looking at what kind of life Dracula was offering her versus the kind of life that she would have with Parker and I think I'm more team Dracula, maybe for the first time after this rewatch. And I think part of it comes from like the period this movie is set in. And you're right, there are definitely problematic elements to stalking somebody as they're just <laughs> kind of going about their day. We don't recommend that here. <laughs> for the record. For the yeah. record, stalking is bad. But when you think about like the life that there was no sort of choice in Mina's life. You know, he had her taking typing lessons because he wanted her to take them. Like everything was like prim and proper. And, you know, he was very much like running, running the show. And she didn't really have any sort of like, everything was an interior life from her. And I think with, when she was with Dracula, you could see that like, she got to be herself. She was open to new possibilities. Like, and I think that's where, like you said, like the kind of 
fun stuff comes from it overall and she does make the choice like she is the one he's like hey i'm gonna leave and she's like nope and she's the one that makes the choice to fight him she's into it yeah yeah she's like fuck yeah i'm into it (laughs) and one of and you know i don't know what oldman is doing in that moment he just kind of like looks like he's being crucified like it's not I've I've seen you know people in the throes of passion before, and it's never looked that weird and awkward. Before. So. That that whole sequence, yeah, makes me feel many conflicting feelings. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of this story is actually about the fear of women's sexuality. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, you know we meet Lucy and and Mina. Mina is basically reading pornography. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oops, yeah. I dropped um, my Kama Sutra. <laughs> they they uh, you know you know. Lucy just kind of like you know gives it off like oh teehee you're reading pornography again <laughs> you know, nobody you know and but yet Mina is fairly scandalized by by Lucy talking about how you know she has three boyfriends basically and and mm-hmm. kind of implies that she's sleeping with all of them mm-hmm. um I I think that there's sort of a a argument that she's really not she just tried to be shocking to mm-hmm. you know i mean again everybody is extremely horny in this movie so if she is yes. with these dudes you know whatever it's fine and it's interesting to note that as you know good friends and possibly a couple at some point that keanu reeves and winona Ryder are or were they have no chemistry in this whatsoever <laughs> like they, they actually they are basically kind of you know sort of pushed together as you know what would be a good couple for society and it's just as soon as she lays eyes on dracula it's just like hard eyes hard eyes and Mm -hmm. i i think this is the first time she's ever felt anything for Mm -hmm. whether it's you know you know sexual desire or romance or anything i mean i think she likes jonathan right you know she probably likes him like like one would like a brother but she doesn't she hasn't quite come to terms with that yet yeah, and because I don't feel like Jonathan is really doing anything wrong. Like I don't feel like he's trying to repress no, he, her. He's a, you know, he's always he's a drip, and he's always written as a drip. And right, he's yeah. like a he's a he's like a slab of Melba toast is probably the way. <laughs> yeah, would he, he's describe not bad. Him. He's just very bland, very yeah. you know right. staid, and not at all you know exciting. You know, in the way that that that, that Dracula is. Well, and I think I read that as they both are like just a function of this system that tells men what their role is and women what their role is. And like when I, it might be because I've just watched Bridgerton because and it's in my head like how chaste that was supposed to be. But like the the scene where they kiss before he leaves, it's actually like a a lingering kiss and it pans away uh, and like the peacock of implication, you know. And I was like, oh, that's a little more forward. Like I get the sense that they they are kind of into each other. I just feel like when she meets Dracula it's like this awakening of what she could be mm-hmm. and what she could explore which is I mean the thing is like Lucy is doing all of that so it's not like it's not like nobody in the movie is allowed to like be feminine because Lucy is doing those things even before Dracula comes around even if she's not actually doing the acts that she's reading about and I said it was the Kama Sutra before it's Arabian Nights so don't at me but um, it's like Dracula is this like 
It's like the seduction of like the satanic feminism that I talked about. And I can't remember what episode it is, but it's like, oh, I get to be bad now. I don't have to be this perfect woman in a corset all the time. Right. Um, And there's like a hotness to that. Now, I will say I got really mad at Gary Oldman when he was stalking her in the street. And I was like, you don't have to apologize to him. He's being the one who's weird. I know. I know. I felt like it's like a clumsy entry into their dynamic because they were like, how the hell are we going to have these two? hook up otherwise but yeah that scene made me very uncomfortable yeah and it's a reading too because the the other element of this is when is she Elisabetta and when is she Mina you know and I think the film is kind of murky on that like I I I must have just looked away for a minute and then suddenly she was really in love with Dracula and I think like I was listening to a pod talking about it and I think the implication is that she remembers her past life there or something so then there's an element of like who is she actually, mm-hmm. you know? And, and does Dracula... she have any agency? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I don't think the film really yeah. makes a judgment on that. I which don't is even fine. think she knows. I don't think. Yeah. And I think that's a good point. I don't even think like she knows who she is, you know, because to, to Dracula, she's the reincarnation of his long dead love to Jonathan Harker. Like she's a good match in terms of society. Like they make a proper fit for one another. So Lucy, like she's a good friend who I think part of the friendship between Lucy and Mina comes from the fact that like Lucy can scandalize Mina a bit with her behavior. So mm-hmm. she very much gets an audience. I think many of us have maybe had that friend or maybe have been that friend where we we do shocking things and we get like the attention we want from our friend from doing those shocking things. And I know that in terms of the sexuality and in terms of the discomfort of discussing sexuality, Coppola talks about how on set he wouldn't talk to Lucy, he wouldn't talk to Sadie Frost and Winona Ryder about the overt sexuality stuff for their scenes together, like when they're frolicking together in the rain, because he felt too embarrassed to discuss sex with them. So he actually had one of like the female production assistants. Like he's like, here's what I'm looking for in the scene. Can you go talk to them about it? But in the meantime, he would go to Gary Oldman and say, okay, in this scene with Winona Ryder, like when you're off camera, I want you to whisper the filthiest shit you can think of to her together. <laughs> and it actually caused a pretty big rift between Oldman and Wider Ryder. Like they did not get along with one yeah. another whatsoever. And she said like he was kind of an asshole to her very early on. And it's come to find out it was because he was basically doing what Coppola said, like go ahead and just let your freak flag fly with her. I got to imagine like 20 something Gary Oldman had seen and done some weird shit. So <laughs> yeah, he has that air to that. him. Like method acting. Yeah. Right. He's, he's kind of a notorious, I mean, I've heard many stories of him being kind of just a dick in general. And uh, mm-hmm. the performance that ruined me for him this year or in 2020 was his turn in the film Tiptoes um, mm-hmm. with Kate Beckinsale in which he, oh he plays a little person alongside oh. like actors like Peter Dinklage. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it is the worst movie. I mean, I'm, oh. I'm a connoisseur of bad movies and it is probably in the number one spot right now as like yeah, that, one, that one's legendary <laughs> don't watch it just watch the trailer which is very funny because it's you know you get the idea um so I kept thinking of that movie in this and it was taking my horny meter down a little bit anyway mm. <laughs> yeah I've never been a huge fan of Gary Oldman uh, I don't like actively dislike him partly because I haven't seen tiptoes yet but you know <laughs> if you want to. so that's part of that's part of why I like yeah 
Dracula. Okay, fine. But the dresses. He could give you dresses. I do think he he puts on a good show in this. And I mean, he is. Oh, a, he, he's really this. good at transforming yeah. himself for better or for worse. You know. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I feel like I had a thought here, and it just choo chewed away like a steam locomotive in through the mountains of Romania. <laughs> oh, speaking of, can we talk about the trains and going through them, the scenery and everything? How amazing it is. Oh, yeah. And this castle is the coolest castle ever. Like, I wouldn't actually want to live there, but I would want to live there because it is so, it's like perfect creepy. And like the fact that it's like this ramshackle falling apart castle, but it looks like a creepy old guy sitting in a chair is so fucking brilliant. And I love the choice, like the off the wall choices and like the look of old Dracula with like the the big bun hair yeah. and the long like it, it's just everything works because it's so unique mm-hmm. and there's no like you never feel like an apology for how big everything is you know they're just like oh no 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 it. he had he had a vision and he was gonna do it you know no matter what <laughs> yeah. this is this to me seems like the first dracula movie that puts dracula front and center in the movie like even when you go back and look at the universal studios like obviously bella lugosi's portrayal is iconic i find it kind of the weakest of the big four universal movies oh yeah because it's actually pretty boring it really <laughs> is it really is but like Lego- dracula is more of an idea there in the hammer movies you know you get christopher lee who gives you like this the shit with christopher lee and um peter cushing oh, thank you so much peter cushing like fighting back and forth you get this really like virile athletic Dracula, but he's also like pure monster. Like there's really not any moments I can recall in many of the Hammer movies where you get like a very human performance at all. Like he's just pure monster and pure evil. It is the first sexy Dracula, but it's it, but absolutely. I agree. But I agree that he's not he's not characterized at all besides just but he but it's the first like hint of seduction you really see with that character on screen. Agree. So, oh, yeah. totally, totally. And the part of that is just it's Christopher Lee, like hot six foot tall. He is hot as hell. Sorry. Hot as hell. Pure <laughs> gentleman. God love him. He's my number one crush, probably up there oh. with. Uh, well, I won't go through my laundry list. Carry on, Mike. That's all right. <laughs> that we can do that for the follow up episode. I think. <laughs> or for the for the patron episode, we're just gonna. Reveal yeah. our horror crushes. <laughs> the after dark um, side. <laughs> absolutely. But this is the first one that really plays on like Dracula's humanity and mm-hmm. puts him front and center. And I would say like this movie really roots for Dracula mm-hmm. in the end. There's a real like sort of love for the character and a, and a real empathy for why he's doing what he's doing. And you get it. I mean, that opening scene where he's like, I just basically almost single-handedly slayed the one of the most ruthless empires that was coming after Christianity for you, God. And, you know, as in, in your reward for me is telling me that the love of my life is damned to hellfire forever. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, people have passed off religion for much less. That's true. I, I do think, you know, there was a moment when I was watching, re, you know, for this pod, that sequence, and I was like, this is how vampires started. But then at the same time, right. I'm like, actually, this is like the best vampire origin story, yeah. the way that they handled it. Like, it's, I don't know. I think it, it, there is something actually beautiful about it if you can hmm. just roll with the theatrics. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and because the person who delivers that bad news to him is Anthony Hopkins disguised as a priest. So you could read it as Van Helsing time traveling back to start vampires 
so that he becomes a big hero in the 1800s and you know yeah to be renowned well there's which that... i wouldn't put it past no him. and i mean there is something to that it's like they're all caught in this dance of fate and destiny that they have mm-hmm. that they have no real say in you know and there's some there's something about that there and you know as a theme that i uh, but i don't really have any fully baked thoughts on it i also do want to i think the thought i was tracing earlier was anthony hopkins and it's really interesting because this is more tied to the women's sexuality thing but like there's that moment where Mina is starting to turn into a vampire and he is set out as like the authority on this. He kills Lucy, no problem. He seems very uninterested in anything other than pursuing Dracula to, to the grave, you know? Um, but there mm-hmm. is that moment where Mina, uh, Winona Ryder pops her top and she's like, look at my little cleavage. And then they like make out. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I remember the first time I watched that, I was like, what? why is she making out with him now? And then like right. this time it's like, the the one thing that that actually distracts him from his quest is you know the is the, the kiss of the woman and the and the three brides kind of pop out and we're like do do the thing Winona you know <laughs> like, <laughs> put the put the moves on him and, and I just think it's really funny but it's also really like clever in a weird way I don't know I just there's there, I have a thought as the beginnings of some thoughts there and I just can't I have they're just not fully baked yet well Anthony Hopkins in this movie let's go there for a minute yeah, because. Yeah, he, to me, I don't know if there's ever been a performer that has gone from like, I won an Oscar to, and I can just do whatever I want anytime I come on screen because my God, like, and he, before Silence of the Lambs, like he was a working actor. He had done a ton of things, but I don't think anyone went like, oh, new Anthony Hopkins movie. I'm there opening night. Well, mm-hmm. wasn't you know Silence I mean? of the Lambs 94? Am I getting this wrong? No, it was, no, that was 91. A, that was 91. 91. Okay, well, yeah. 91. completely wrong then. Because I was wondering, like, because this is sort of, he plays Van Helsing like a villain in some ways, yes. you know, and which I think he is totally really does. weird, but it works. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how Anthony Hopkins made it out of the 90s alive <laughs> because he, every role he did in that period was just so big yeah. and so hammy and... and yeah, I mean, I don't know how he didn't have like 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 multiple strokes. Yeah. And <laughs> right. <laughs> it's what pulls me out of the movie. Like we talked about the campy factor, the campiness. Like the campiness is almost 100% coming from Anthony Hopkins. But he's like, yeah, we're going to like put a stake in our heart and cut off our head. Yeah, you know, and he's just like weird about it and it's just He's just like giggling so and like humping people yeah. and yeah. Right. right. The part where he's like, you know, you're right he like grabs Quincy and he's like humping his leg like a puppy you know and it's just like what the fuck is this like these are deliberate choices that he's making and you figure like Coppola had to be okay with it because you know Coppola can easily say look I directed the Godfather movies and Apocalypse Now like you're reining it in a little bit this Mm -hmm. is too much for even me but apparently he was for it it also to me like it feels like whenever Hopkins and Oldman are sharing the screen with Keanu Reeves. They're going out of their way to kind of be dismissive of him and embarrass. <laughs> they're they're act, like I read like like they're acting circles around him. Yeah, so but it feels it feels deliberate. It feels like they feel like he shouldn't they shouldn't be sharing the screen with the star of like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Point Break. Mm-hmm. It kind of works for the character dynamics, you know, because there's right. two mm-hmm. larger than life egotistical characters, you know, you've mm-hmm. got Dracula himself and Van Helsing, you know, this do- this continental doctor. Yeah. And then you have a real estate broker. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and I mean, 
say what you will about Keanu's performance. I don't know. I, I, I struggle to imagine this movie with any element different than the way it turned out to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I just feel like some, some of the magic would be lost if they had cast, like, I don't fucking know, like a young Jude Law or somebody who could like mm-hmm. genuinely act in a way. I, it feels like Keanu took a while to grow into his thing and it's a thing yeah. and it works, you know, for him. But he is, he's just awful. <laughs> Yeah, this This is pre-train spotting, but I can imagine that if Popola had seen train spotting, like you and McGregor in the role of Harker, yeah, because I think you know, I know that I read that they wanted somebody to play Harker that basically would drive in the teen girl audience, like a kind of heartthrob person. I heard Johnny Depp. That would have made sense, also. But I mean, because but then him and why not? Back then, it would have made sense. Yeah, yeah, because I think he was dating Winona Ryder at the time too. Although you know. I like him a lot more back then. Well, yeah, the, no one like there was something I saw or somebody was making the joke where they were like, oh, someone who is the fan, a fan of the later works of Johnny Depp. Like, what kind of person is that? Like, only the later exactly. works, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never really liked uh, Van Helsing just as a character. And I, it, it's partly for two reasons, I think, because. Anthony Hopkins was my first introduction and he just kind of seems kind of like a dick in this movie. And um, I mean, an entertaining dick, but like, and I think the movie, I think you're right, Mike, the movie does set you up to root for Dracula. So in that way, Anthony Hopkins is kind of the, the anti-villain maybe if that's not too many double negatives, but also like, I, I think a lot of my actual vampire lore is really rooted in Salem's lot. And I want him to be more like Matt Burke because he's like, the Van Helsing that I feel like I could like hang with and he seems real down to earth you want to be more like like a scholar than than right like a like a hunter yeah no I I get get that yeah and I haven't seen any Hugh Jackman portrayals of Van actually this might be the only Van Helsing joint that I've seen so (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, I think also like I mean if you're reading this whole thing as like rebellion against victorian mores and repression and van helsing is this sort of figure of male authority he's the Mm -hmm. the scholar who teaches at the medical college and he is you know bearing the cross both in the olden times and in the modern times and um you know he's like fucking the like wet blanket like ruining the party dude like we just want to have like bohemian vampire times and here you are (laughs) over here pumping my leg i don't like it anyway mm-hmm. so. i do wonder if she goes back to um harker at the end that was my know? other thought i mean they're married i want to see yeah in the, in the, if they following the book they do she she do they? she stays with him yeah. yeah in the book there's they're not romantic though in the book dracula, she and dracula she yeah. and dracula like he kind of forces her against her will like she's very much angry at dracula for doing this to her so Hmm. that was one of the liberties the movie took i think to make it more romantic i really would like to see this like a sequel to this movie that picks up that's you know that departs from the novel that is like what does mina do now that Mm -hmm. she's had this awakening and she has she has slayed dracula so she you know she put it to rest i can't imagine her just trotting outside after all of that and being like i'm human again jonathan let's go home Mm -hmm. Uh, my theory is that she she and van helsing go across you know around the world together to uh to like have weird uncomfortable makeout sessions and and Mm -hmm. and, like fight (laughs) creatures of the night but i would also like to see her be this like traveling traveling like madame blavatsky kind of like occultist Mm -hmm. figure who then is like helps people get in touch with their past life anyway i you could see that i have 
too many thoughts. You thought of this. Uh, I, you I, have you watched of. Penny Dreadful? Yes. Because there's kind of the is she is she would be like the the what's her name from Penny Dreadful, the main female character. I can't remember. Uh, that beautiful Eva actress. Green, yeah. who's like the most gorgeous yes, person. Yes, she's I've so ever gorgeous. Seen. I can't stand it. Like, uh, yeah, I think she hooks up with Carrie always, which is what I would do. Yes, because <laughs> they're both morning Lucy. Dracula. They're both morning Lucy. They're both really hot. exactly. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and both can speak with a British accent. Yes. That's a little. Uh, Robin Hood jokes. <laughs> and it says a lot, and it says a lot, like the one woman who has any agency in this movie, who, I mean, she's definitely playing her three suitors against one another, and she's loving all that attention. Like, the one person who has any sort of, like, I get a say in how I'm going to live my life is then, like, immediately killed off in a grotesque way. Right, and, yeah. And the only, the only, you know, sex you see or have is with, like, beast mode Dracula. Like, this really grotesque, like, animalistic like she's not even worthy of having like hunky gary oldman yeah they don't get the loving embrace i think that was another element that i was making me think of it being like problematic if i actually analyze this movie in the way that we analyze a lot of the movies for this podcast from that like psychodynamic perspective where it's like Mm -hmm. oh he treats you know dracula as a character comes in and treats her best friend and as like just horribly and then like literally lets her be killed doesn't even protect her after mm-hmm. siring her and and then but Winona the good pure woman you know gets gets the royal treatment but Lucy the loose lady you know mm-hmm. Lucy Lucy mm-hmm. over here gets gets her head cut off and screw her yeah. you know I think there's some there's some questionable stuff going on there um but yeah that may just be the the 90s <laughs> I don't know well and there's like a punishment element too mm-hmm. because she is like she is playing these men against each other and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but I'm saying like <laughs> as traditional female role like right. she is setting herself up to be a bride that is like a prize for these men and then she gets like I don't want to say put in her place but like Dracula flips that and makes her his bride which is basically she just exists to serve him and to feed and I think there's a there's probably an anti-feminist kind of read of that and I'm not saying the movie is saying Mm -hmm. the original story I think yeah I think you're right and he's even explicit in saying like when he's about to turn her that he's condemning her he's condemning her to a life or an eternity of misery yeah, yeah. Uh, you think you had power? Yeah, here I've got the power. Which yeah. is, but then he turns and it's like, but I'm going to have this really progressive, like you know, dynamic with Winona Ryder. It just doesn't like I, I, that bothers mm-hmm. me. It's like this is the same guy. Like you can't, you know. It, yeah, there's kind of like a Madonna whore kind of exactly. dynamic going. You right. know? Yeah, you could even explore like a racial element in the way that Dracula's portrayed in those scenes with Lucy, because like he doesn't come to her. Like when you see them together like he's looks like a beast and you could almost see like some sort of like racial element where it's like look this like foreigner is going to come in and um they're gonna like steal our women they're gonna rape our women like you know these you don't Mm -hmm. see him as like sexy time at that point you see him as a beast which is obviously like an an allegory or a stand-in for any number of racial tropes so i mean there's yeah and that's like some old world racism yeah that it's like i think that like why bram stoker wrote it as like this mysterious little country in eastern europe it's like that was like like eastern europe was like Whoa, that's crazy town. Like the, the whole right. idea of being Bohemian, you know, um, in Victorian England, like that was like the craziest Eastern shit you could imagine. They're like, they're mm-hmm. the thing. They don't wear corsets there. That's bananas. Yeah. Right. Well, and 
because we're talking about like these gender dynamics and kind of sexual politics, but the movie is so horny. Mm. <laughs> and Gina, I remember when we were talking about those on Twitter, I had not thought of the word writhing with this movie, but you said something and I can't remember it was some specific type of writhing that I was just fascinated by. <laughs> Yeah, everybody's just like, like, you know, sweating and, you know, the clothes are a little too tight and mm-hmm. everybody's just kind of shifting around and, and you know, a lot, a lot of it is interestingly, like, almost against their will. It's like, this is mm-hmm. the first time they've ever felt any sexual feelings. <laughs> and it, these aren't, like, particularly, I mean, I guess, you know, the characters are also supposed to be in their 20s and 30s, but, but they're just so repressed up to this point like you know you have you know, jack stewart who is struggling with his feelings for lucy by shooting up opium <laughs> that's, like, <laughs> that's like how repressed he is that he mm. can't even handle you know his feelings for her and for whatever reason does not direct it towards another woman or try to get involved with another woman mm-hmm. you know like like harker and Quincy P. Morris's rivalry for Lucy is kind of friendly. Like, I think everybody knows and kind of accepts that, that you know, Harker's the one that's going to end up with her because he's the rich guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Morris, you know, Morris is around to kind of be her boy toy for a little while, and he's all right with that. Mm-hmm. But Seward, I think, is the only one. I think she probably flirts with Seward, but doesn't take it any further than that. Yeah. And, yeah. and he's just so, like, restrained and 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 he kind of comes off a little creepy at times and maybe it's because he's played by uh uh, uh richard grant and richard grant kind of creepy a lot of his roles like <laughs> like you know whether whether intentionally or not but it's just like everybody in in this movie is so out of touch with their own sexuality and their own feelings and, and it really is just a treatise on victorian quote-unquote sexuality in general oh yeah where every mm-hmm. everything was just you know, you could not talk about it and lo and behold not talking about it didn't make it go away <laughs> nope no but it just but you know you could you could button those collars up to the the fucking like bottom of your chin and just yeah i mean you could, you could tie you, you could tie a corset around you until you could barely say your own name but there's no no know, blood who, flow is getting down to the genitals and you yeah, cinch things I mean, that hard yeah <laughs> But as it turns out, it does not make you stop thinking about having sex. No, and in fact, yeah, right. I, I think like repressed Victorian horniness is is like my favorite form of horniness, and it's why whenever I, I was like a huge Sherlock Holmes fan of the original, you know, novels and mm. stories, and I just want Holmes and Watson to have like passionate sex so much because they're so the characters are so cerebral and repressed. You know, there's something about that that always makes me. You know, and then this movie is like the epitome of that, like just the, mm-hmm. the horniness beneath. And um, there's this Mitchell and Webb sketch, which I can like, because it's one of my favorite things in the world, but it's this uh, like where Queen Victoria is getting a gift of linden trees and she like leans over to her like advisor and is like, they smell like cum. And he's like, no, you cannot say this to me as Queen Victoria. You can't just sidle over here after all this repression. I'm covered in starch and I'm boiling, I'm boiling. And you can't just say it smells like cum. Anyway. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Well, and it's funny because there's like, I think you see this in a lot of the costuming too, because there's like the corset dresses and like Mina's amazing red dress and then her black dress at the end, which I was also very into. 
But then, like, if they're not wearing these corseted dresses, their boobs are all over the place. And it's very, like, billowy and frothy mm-hmm. and, like, topless. And, and, like, which I think is really, that's, like, the freedom, you know? It's like when you when you put on your sweatpants and you're like, okay, I, I'm just going to be me. And it's funny, like, the scene when she's going through the garden at night and she's about to get got by um, Wolf Dracula, I guess. Like, is that the nightgown she's going to wear to bed? Like, it's some kind of corseted, like, red and white, or, like, red and orange stripe, and it is amazing. But it's, like, an 80s prom dress, not, like, a Victorian nightgown, you know? Yeah, it is kind of, it almost works, but it doesn't. I was going to say, like, you could, like, the, the costuming and stuff is, like, and the closer they get to being free or being a vampire, they wear these more, I guess it does work. Like, you know, the, yeah. the more human you are, the more cinched your costumes are. And the closer you get to being a vampire, the more billowy everything is. And that's why she's wearing that big white thing with just the big, you know, starched collar that hides the mm-hmm. the, the wounds. And I guess it carries through to the three vampire women too. Yeah. You know, they're, they're like, basically they come out of these like loose cloths, you know, to like, yeah, like, like pantaloons, right. Where they go to like nibble on his nipples or whatever. There's some, there's this like up close shot of Keanu Reeves's nipple. And I was just like, okay, uh-huh. we get it. Like, <laughs> it was like her pointy tongue, like circling it. Yeah. 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 It's just like, <laughs> that's why I said yeah. well, one more nipple and this gets an NC 17. And <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and it's funny because that dress, it's very much like her hair. It's like an extension of her red hair because her hair's down mm-hmm. and it's just flowing all over the place and it's it's just fantastic it just does not look like a nightgown but I kind of like that like who cares you know yeah. we're just gonna make her look like this because it's so dreamlike it's, too exactly you know? it's all theatrical it's all dreamy it's like if you try yeah. to find a logical thread in it like it's <laughs> not gonna work. right but yeah well okay so I have a couple of things more that I want to talk about I absolutely love the line I've crossed oceans of time I am like not a super romantic person like I I said I don't like Valentine's Day that much but man that one gets me me and I don't know like and it's like the one time I really like Gary Ullman I'm like oh that's so romantic and then the tagline love never dies it's just like just right the right amount of like gothy death Mm -hmm. in there and like yeah like I said I'm not I'm not this is a chicken and egg scenario for me because this was like the, one of the first movies I saw where I was like, what is this feeling in my pants? And uh, <laughs> so I don't know if I like it. That gets me because of this movie. <laughs> you know? mm. What did it do? Like, this is the, the the standard I'm judging all. No wonder I'm alone anyway. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does, there, there is something that's just, it just like in a very visceral, a little girl kind of way gets to me, you know? <laughs> I think Ullman mm-hmm. loved that line. I think that's the reason he took the role. Like, he's like, I really want to say this line. <laughs> hey, I would have taken the role too. Like the word ocean, I think it's just like a mm-hmm. pretty wor- sounding word, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's so unique to hear time described as an ocean because that it's just, oh, I just love it. It makes you think about a boat and the wow. fact that he's on a boat and then kills everyone, like it ties into the story too. But mm-hmm. yeah. Loving it. So like indulgent. Yeah. Everything in this movie is like a big indulgent bite of yeah. like chocolate ganache. I was just going to say, yeah, it feels like getting a heart-shaped box, you know, that, like, maybe has, like, a skull and crossbones, but, like, with a heart, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? oh, the Adams Family, like, Gomez and Morticia vibes, you know, they're, they're my other favorite romantic mm. couple, you know, like, it's just, yeah. Right. Oh, love Morticia. How do you think the first act of this movie works as a straight-up horror movie? Because I think, like, with Old Man Dracula and kind of the interplay with Keanu and... 
uh, Oldman in those scenes. Like Harker is very much like, you know, I know that Renfield is the one that's obsessed with flies and you see that obsession. Like Harker is very much a fly caught in a web that he has no way of mm -hmm. really getting out of. And I think that the first 30 to 40 minutes of this movie work really well as like a standalone kind of creepy gothic horror movie until you again until yeah. um mm -hmm. you introduce like the other elements of the book <laughs> once it leaves transylvania basically but i think that as dracula like it's like a creature of the night vampire like oldman is gives like a really wonderful scary menacing performance that even though he's just like kind of like that moment where he he feels like his feelings have been dismissed when he's talking about how him and the church didn't work out and he like <laughs> right he decided, he decided to go, there, to go you know, separate ways. part ways with that. He, he took his talents to satan basically <laughs> is what he did it was a messy divorce right but when he grabs that sword and it's all you've done is seen him move in these really like slow deliberate movements when he like grabs that sword and brings it within inches of Keanu at that point and the way his like voice drops and it has that kind of throaty quality to it is fantastic. And the other thing that gets me when he's going through Harker's letters and you see the way his fingers move letter by letter and it's this really kind of like slithery quality to it. Like those are the choices that I absolutely love in this performance. Like I just saw it to me like he is to me like the best version of Dracula is Gary Oldman. Yeah, it's iconic. I mean, very original. Everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. Yeah. How do you arrive there? I don't know, but now yeah. it's now it's indelible in right. my mind, linked with Dracula. And I do wish. Yeah. I think the closest thing we get to it now is like Guillermo del Toro, who brings like lavish productions mm. with things like Crimson Peak and The Shape of Water. Yeah, you know, it's, it's basically <laughs> it, it's one of those things where I wish we got more horror of this kind of caliber and this kind of you know this kind of like yes. scope and scale to it like not everything has to be made for like a shoestring budget you know with whatever you could like piece together by mm -hmm. taking on tremendous credit card debt you know make something like big and grandiose well the person i know that is i mean she is sort of a controversial figure in horror for, and just because of her own she can't shut the fuck up on twitter but anna biller who made the love witch knew you yep. like i mean she just her I love her because as an artist because of her ambition and she's really willing to do all these practical things and create create like she all the art in the movie and her is hers and she creates sets and works with a, a cinematographer who shoots in the style of like mm -hmm. 60s Hitchcock you know 50s 60s Hitchcock movies and yeah I I love an auteur that is just like or like Jodorowsky or someone who's just so obsessed mm -hmm. with detail and and I mean Francis Ford Coppola really is that kind of visual director this feels like a a turn from a lot of his earlier work because he wasn't wasn't working oh, yeah. within this genre but yeah I find and like I want more I'm I'm I want more people to do that but as an independent filmmaker and that's the problem now it's, it's like the the I could go on a soapbox here about like all the money in Hollywood and God only knows what it's going to look like post COVID right. I mean who the hell knows how this is going to change the industry but I think it's only going to make it worse where yeah. all the money is given to these Marvel you know Disney enterprises and then the independent filmmaker is going to have to get really 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 creative with with their money and their lack of resources mm -hmm. to create anything like this and i mean this was the 90s yep. it was you know the era in which this was made it was maybe uh, just an era that may be completely gone where movies like this could get made for budgets like yeah. this and i just don't know it, it drives me crazy because i mean i love this shit and i love practical effects and these are all the things that make cinema so juicy 
Yeah. I mean, there needs to be more than multiplexes showing the latest Marvel picture on five screens out of 10. And then three of the other screens are like animated movies that the kids, that the parents can like take their kids to go Mm -hmm. see. I forget where I read this, but to your point, Laura, like there was an article that was out saying like studio, like the idea of like spending $20 million on a drama for adults that would maybe make like 50 to $100 million. Like studios don't want to do that anymore. They would rather invest like $200 million and try to make a billion. Mm-hmm. And unless something, unless you can look at a, a piece of property and say, can we turn one movie into three? Like how much can we get out of this? Mm-hmm. Like chances are it's not going to get made. Now, do I want, of course I want more Star Wars. Yeah. I want more Marvel. Yeah. You know, there's a place for that, but there needs, you know, there needs to be something in between that and say Bloomhouse doing a movie for like $2 million. It just kind of catches mm-hmm. fire. Right. Um, I mean, Martin Scorsese, my all time favorite filmmaker could not make, he's like, how about I return to like gangster filmmaking? And oh, by the way, like Joe Pesci is going to come out of retirement and Nicholson's going to come on board and De Niro's going to come on board. Like, would you guys like to see that movie? And every it took Netflix giving him the money yeah. to make yeah, it. Yeah, like, that's where we're like, at. Yeah, no, we can't be, you know, are there, right. do you, do you, is there a big flight scene in this? No, and we're right. not interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is just such a huge bummer. I mean, again, like I, I think that when you get into this conversation, people either go, well, fuck Disney, mm-hmm. fuck Marvel, but we should be doing better. I, I agree. Yeah. I think it's like, yeah, those movies are fun and they mm-hmm. have a place. I love The Mandalorian. I love all this shit, but like, right. come mm-hmm. on, like, some of the soul is really going to go out of it if we if you don't find production companies yeah. and 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 I don't know I really think COVID the whole COVID thing is only going to make it worse but maybe yeah. maybe someone will figure out a middle ground here I just it's right. I'm not going to try to predict it is right. is there going to be like a room for like a knives out mm. you know in 2022 is there going to be the room for that kind of movie to come out you know it's so to me to get like 30 million 40 million for this just pure spectacle mm-hmm. there needs to be kind of a place for that i think you know that would uh, that would bring in like a different kind of crowd so yeah, yeah. i'm really really happy this movie exists yeah. i am too and like oh, yeah. going back to the beginning of the movie like it, there's an earnestness to it that mm-hmm. i just absolutely love and the dinner table oh. scene where he just goes from 1 to 11 and suddenly he's got a sword yep. in keanu's face i love it and i think it's like it's such a juxtaposition to like a movie like scream which i also really love but where everybody in that movie is so self-aware and I see like Keanu, like he gets off at this this place and there's like a dead animal hanging from the thing. And then evil crow man comes, which mm. that guy is amazing. And I love his like long, like fingery, like fingery evilness. It's amazing. But like movies now, you know, nobody's getting onto that carriage. Nobody is walking into this castle and putting themselves in this position. And I love that Keanu just goes through all of these motions because then we get to see it. And I'm like, he is mm. clearly evil. He is amazingly evil and I do agree he is the best Dracula that I've ever seen when he's got that awesome red robe but like the the earnestness to just like expect that the audience is on board for all of these decisions is what I love because then you get to make all of those like bonkers choices because we're just all bought in you know the premise is that this is all real absolutely and I I mean I love camp I I absolutely adore Mm -hmm. camp but it only ever works when it's earnest you know you can't set Mm -hmm. out to make something campy I think we were discussing this 
recently like with troll too yes, <laughs> yeah exactly and like it just will never and this movie rides that line really well of like insane campiness and earnest great filmmaking it's it's, a, it's yeah. one of the more I get a lot of cognitive dissonance watching this movie because I'm laughing at it at the same time that I'm really into it. And it's, yeah, again, it's, it's an original vision that was given the budget that it deserved. And that's just not mm-hmm. something you see very much of. Well, you know what they say, camp never dies. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else that we haven't talked about that we want to mention? Or Gina, is there anything else that you love about this movie that we haven't talked about yet? I, I just love how it, it's sort of both you very, very true to the material and then he just kind of also just does his own thing with it, mm-hmm. which which I, 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 I love. I mean, I, the, the book is very, it's very dry <laughs> because it's, it's, a, it's an epistolary novel. So everything's written in letter form. So you don't, it, it makes it a little bit distant from, uh, from you know, what's really happening. It's a little detached. And, and I think that, you know, you're in the middle of things and you're feeling the heat and you're feeling everybody <laughs> panting over each other. And it's just so, it, it's such an immersive experience. Mm-hmm. Not to bring up Hannibal again, but when you said that, something that is true to the source material, but doing its own thing, the NBC Hannibal series, um, Brian. Fuller's, yeah, yeah, it, that, yeah. Same, really over the top and like, just like going for it. And it's ridiculous, but I love it. Like that is maybe one of my favorite like subgenres or or moods or vibes. I don't know. <laughs> I have to watch that. Yeah, if you if you like cannibal, you'll like this too. Yes. They, they, they <laughs> yeah. seem to come from the same style. Totally. Share share some DNA. So would the reverse be true? If I like this, I'll like Hannibal. Hell yeah. I I've tried yeah. to watch Hannibal really have tried about three times and I always get to the um the plants growing on people oh, and epi- like was that another just, one is that episode oh, that's yeah. hard that was gross that was gross it's hard some of those first yeah. few episodes they do some of the most gross like body horror kind of stuff I've ever seen in mm. my life in those first few episodes okay so does it not escalate after that because if it, if that's like about as rough as it gets I can it, probably handle it depends that. on what your triggers are because that mushroom episode probably grosses me out more than any other episode but it definitely yeah, it, same. it escalates but in other but in different ways you know it's like maybe they're mm, lateral moves yeah. I don't know <laughs> like skinlessness is there I skinlessness think it, it, it gets uh there's, there's one, one episode, episode where it really turns bad. people into he turns people into like human angels. Well, oh, okay. Uh, I have seen that. That might have actually okay. been where I stopped. The, there's that, okay. and then there's the one where they he glues people together because they all are like like an ingredient like of skin, you know. And then the guy like it's like waking up and pull that. That was also one of the grossest moments for me. But is that the one with Lance Henriksen? No, no, Lance no, Henriksen was the one the, with the human totem the, pole. He builds the okay. human totem. I'm sorry. Oh my god! This conversation okay. is so ridiculous. <laughs> so I might just scout some of these episodes before I watch, but I yeah. want to watch, especially because, well, I don't know if I can say. Oh yeah, I can. It's out now. I've seen the first three episodes of Clarice, and I'm into mm-hmm. it. But it's also making me want to watch Hannibal too. Also, I yeah, just read me, Red Dragon, so I'm like, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mads Mikkelsen to me is now the, the definitive Hannibal Lecter, and part of like in getting back to Hopkins again, part of why. Hopkins' performance is so good in Silence of the Lambs. It's, it's restrained. Yeah. I mean, it's remarkably restrained. And again, after that, you know, with Ridley Scott's Hannibal, with Red Dragon, he just is like, it's so showy and over the it top. It becomes a parody of uh, itself. It yeah. really does. It becomes like a family guy was doing like Silence of the Lambs. Like, this is what you would get. Nicholson <laughs> yeah. is like, to me now, like he is the 
definitive Hannibal Lecter, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Well, and it reminds me of Al Pacino in a lot of ways, too, because, like, I think my first introduction to him was maybe The Devil's Advocate, <laughs> speaking of Keanu. Um, yeah. And I just saw him, like, going crazy and, like, really going ham in some of those scenes. And then I watched The Godfather. And I will say, I am not an expert on his career, or nor have I seen mm. all three of The Godfather films. But he's very restrained in the first movie. And then to see him, like, scarfacing it up in other movies, it's yeah. very like because i mean hannibal lecter literally is restrained for the majority of that movie mm-hmm. he's also not on screen very long no, like yeah. i think it's yeah, like, like what 19 nine, minutes 11 or so? minutes 19 minutes yeah yeah um i do love that movie though and love his portrayal yep. of that character oh, yeah. that um, i'm sure we will get to it yeah. at some point <laughs> i would do that as comfort horror because I've, I've seen it so many times that i can like recite it to like most of the, yeah. the dialogue it's, i think i make I may go watch it after this. Actually. And I want to watch I The Devil's Advocate now because I haven't seen that. Oh, my God. Yeah. I love that movie. I'm mean, speaking of bonkers, yeah. you know. It's a, oh, yeah. Yes. If you want to talk about about campiness. Yeah, you, that's right. Your, yeah. That's a big <laughs> dose of it in that. Is that movie also <laughs> like, very horny? I remember it being very horny. But no. I was. Well, yeah. there is a suddenly naked in a church moment, which, you know, I don't know I if that counts. Like, but <laughs> I feel like the 90s, there was like an absolute willingness to have sex portrayed on screen in a way that was refreshing and fun and wasn't like like the 80s was just kind of like horny in a way that was really um teen boy horny like yeah. objectifying and like <laughs> leering and weird and then in the 90s it was kind of like fuck it you know we're just gonna like yep everybody likes to have sex so we're gonna be a lot more open about how we discuss it and do it in different ways and i don't you know like boobies now seem strangely asexual yeah in a lot of ways there's like well i think you can get into all i'm not i'm stopping myself from going down the rabbit hole of exploring why that is but i do think Mm -hmm. that you know there's there's a lot less nudity um or if there is nudity it's like Mm -hmm. for it's done for a very specific reason it isn't just like Mm -hmm. you check the box of take somebody taking their top off you know like you would with the Mm -hmm. 80s horror films but yeah i have a lot of thoughts on that i'd actually like to talk about that more but i i don't feel like I want, I want to like get my facts we'll straight yeah. right on that one. Yeah, <laughs> for the <laughs> do for some the research. Patrons. Yes, yes. We'll have a, for, a think, Patreon episode on nudity in film. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, that's for think, the you know, after dark episodes for well, sure. I think you could like put a you could put a pin on Scream and say like starting with Scream, that's where it started for a lot of reasons. And we'll yeah. save that for another <laughs> time. So yeah, I think Hostel might be an element in that also like kind of a, a turning point too although again not sure i'm really ready to, ready to dive in nor do mm. i want to watch hostel again yeah so. we gotta go down like yeah. a bush arrow bush arrow a bush arrow hole <laughs> <Yeah>. right <laughs> nice to turn a phrase <laughs> um okay so can we talk about tom waits really quick yes do it um i didn't know who he was i've heard you guys mention him several times and i just was like oh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then i saw his name on screen and i was like oh this is tom waits okay he's renfield <laughs> he's one of my favorite musicians of all time and i like i just fucking adore tom waits so him in this movie, when I was younger, when I was a kid in the 90s watching this, I, I didn't connect the dots of Tom Waits because I didn't really start listening to Tom Waits until like probably 2002 or something like that. That was when I was really getting mm-hmm. into the, all that. Like I, found, I discovered punk rock and then I went down this rabbit hole of all the punk adjacent characters and he's definitely one of them. And uh, mm-hmm. so just him being in this movie and having that little bit of like he shows up in a lot of movies around this time and he's actually a really amazing actor. Um, 
one of my favorite performances of is him in the movie Wrist Cutters, a love story, which is also kind of mm -hmm. like a dark, that would be a really good one for an anti-Valentine's Day. Um, fucking love that movie. We should cover it for this actually, because uh, it's all <laughs> about suicide, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, and I just think he's an amazing performer all around. Like, fucking love him so much. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm just getting excited. <laughs> Yeah, this was the movie that made me go, oh, Tom Waits, this is why he's a big deal. Like, and I don't necessarily listen to a lot of his music, but I, I respect him as an artist completely. Like, this was the, like, when I saw him in this, like, he is, I, I still say that I think it's like Dwight, is it Dwight Fry, I think, who's Renfield? Yeah. And yeah. I still, that's my iconic, like, when I think of Renfield, that's what I go to. But Waits is like, for the few moments he's on screen, and this is just so magnetic and so good and so powerful, like, and almost unrecognizable in some ways. And I got an appreciation for him in a way that like, I never liked David Bowie when he was alive because of Labyrinth, because mm -hmm. I'm like, who's this weirdo in a cod piece and a bad wig? So I never <laughs> liked David Bowie until he passed away and then started listening to him. And it's just a weird association I made. I associate weights with this film and really appreciate him as an artist because of it. And he's just got that that scene where he's got the the straight jacket where mm -hmm. it, it looks yeah. like he's got tentacles <laughs> and, and, it, and it's just so like again this costume design it's just okay that's not what straight jackets look like that time <laughs> right. period mm -hmm. but you know he just kind of you know flinging these long arms around and it's just so he's got these little teeny tiny glasses and and <laughs> like this whole look that they gave him is just so it's it's indelible mm -hmm. like yeah. even, even for this tiny relatively minor character they just you know they, they they went to town on on his costume design and what he looked like and that performance he's got that voice i mean that tom waits voice is is like nothing else on earth you know and he really uses it to good effect as renfield and like, there's no yeah. reason that his character, I mean, honestly, if I was like a producer in the 90s and I was looking at this script and I'd be like, you got to make this movie shorter. Why is it so long? This character right. has no connection to the rest of the plot. You could totally cut him and it wouldn't impact the plot at all. But like, I'm so glad they didn't do that because like, right. it's just like, okay, we're going to take a little detour into the mental ward now. And it's, you know, his, like octopus guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, his sleeves remind me, I, it, I couldn't figure out what visual it was reminding me of. And it's Freddy Krueger in the first yes. movie when his yeah. arms are really yeah. long and cordy. And so it's like, ah, oh. oh, that's so cool. Yeah. You get the little detail, like where he has the coverings on his fingers so that he can't scratch, hurt himself or hurt mm -hmm. others. But they also don't look like anything that you would ever put on a person. They almost look like they could do more damage if he were to kind of use them. And I just love those, that little visual detail that again, this is, I think, why. And, and Gina, the name of the costume designer again, like you had it off the top I, of your I head. I go Oshida. Like the little details that she brought to this, like make the movie work. Absolutely. Without what she brings to the table, like we're not talking about this movie 30 years later. So yeah. I wanted to ask along those lines, because there are the guys that have like the um, the cages around their heads. That. And that may, I know, but, but it made me think of um, 13 Ghosts like mm -hmm. with the guy and I think he was meant to be like an inmate in the asylum but I think yes. these guys I guess it's like protecting their face yeah I was so like they couldn't get PPE. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't come at me I got a cage on my head I, I actually meant to look up and I didn't to see if that was actually a thing that was in Victorian like hospital like if that was just what they did to keep inmates from mm -hmm. biting them or something and um I led me down a road where I googled the origin of the term basket case which apparently mm. is 
because World War One soldiers that lost their arms and their legs would be wheeled mm-hmm. around in baskets. And that, anyway, and I was mm-hmm. like, I wish I hadn't Googled that. Anyway, now I've shared it with you like I do. <laughs> but that's just one of those tiny little details that just like really sets the scene of how like kind of sinister this asylum is. Mm-hmm. And like I this was the only thing I had on other mental health topics is that we see an mm-hmm. a, asylum. And I think it would have been called an asylum at that time. And yeah. They are breaking a lot of but like bedlam. Right. Okay. Sorry. I'm just trying to remember things that I knew in college and I no longer remember. (laughs) Carry on. But their treatment of um, it's not very good. (laughs) No, it's very, very bad. (laughs) No, it would be very bad. Yeah. Right. But this was like until really the 1970s. I mean, it's you know obviously exaggerated, but this is what a lot of mental health asylums looked like. Mm-hmm. Like they were just kind of put in there. I don't know if anyone has ever seen the documentary Cropsy. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that, you know, is really chilling because um, mm-hmm. that is like as recent as like the mid seventies. Yeah. Uh, and it's really not until the eighties where you start to see a movement towards what I would call like, I call this like, it's called least restrictive. Like you want to make sure that a person has the ability to live the most fulfilling life they can given their, given their capabilities. Um, And that the idea that persons who need to be in this treat field or or in this community need to be treated with like dignity and respect that all of us should be accorded. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a fairly recent phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times I think that even the stupid American Horror Story Asylum season was based on some legitimate, mm-hmm. like, you know, stories oh, yeah. and where they would, I mean, it was, in this era, I think they would have probably just dumped people in a room, like locked the door and then been like, well, they're just going to die mm-hmm. in there eventually. And then it was mm-hmm. mid-century America, they started doing a lot of like lobotomies and like all these kind of bizarre, yeah. like, let's spin people on tables and dump them in ice baths, because it which ironically was an improvement on just doing nothing with people and locking them in a hole to die, I guess. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> yeah, I think we forget how recently a lot of advances in mental health have been made and how awful yeah. it was for like most of human history. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just listening to um, my favorite murder just did um, the history of lobotomies. And I was like, I wonder if they would have tried to do that to me. Oh, I know like, they would have. 40 years ago. I was just listening to the last podcast. Oh, they must all be covering the same thing. This last podcast covered mm-hmm. lobotomies, which has been, my, you know, my dad was a neuroscientist, so I have all these books on lobotomies and like weird shit like that that he just had. Mm. So I've been obsessed with that forever. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just fascinating and sad, and but also kind of creepy. Yeah. Like it's it lends itself to this this creepy vibe. Like it's another yeah. creepy castle, it's, like Dracula. It's an, castle. It, it's a mood. It's a vibe. <laughs> it is, yeah. Well, there are two more things that I want to mention. I've already mentioned one, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But anytime there is snow in a horror movie, I lose my fucking mind. Mm-hmm. I just I'm obsessed with snow, partly because we just don't get very much of it down here in Nashville. But like, like the the it's like you see this creepy castle at the beginning, and I'm like losing my mind over it. And then it's snowing there, and I'm like, oh my god, it's like creepy, but another level of like fun Christmas creepy, but not really. It's like, oh, I just love it. So that's my geek out moment. But I also want to talk about Annie Lennox because <laughs> this song, I love it. And she is an artist that, again, like she's a very all or nothing artist for me where I don't know very much about her or career. Like I'm not super familiar with her, but the stuff that I do, I'm like obsessed with and love. And this song, it seems like such a strange 
vibe to go with this movie like it especially because the score oh that's another thing that i love about this movie the score score is amazing oh my gosh and it perfectly sets the tone and this song is like kind of a 180 from that you know but there's something about it that just works partly because the song is really cool it's also a very 90s thing to do where it's like everything is the score and and like you know diegetic sounds and stuff and then the the over the credits it's like a pop hit you know <laughs> like right yeah. right yeah like LL Cool J recorded something for <laughs> right. that would have been really funny if they had like a 90s rap track at the end <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like Puff Daddy featuring Mary J Blige or something right. <laughs> like, oh, well, is there anything else we want to talk about before we um, before we go back to the the crypt or before the sun comes up or something? Before the sun rises, oh, yes. oh, we gotta chase it. Anything else we haven't mentioned? I don't think so. Not for me. All right. Well, we already talked about our um, mental health topic, and so I'm going to skip right to our uplifting moment. So like Dracula arising without bending his waist from the coffin, (laughs) it is time for an uplifting moment. I feel like it should be either Annie Lennox or like some kind of writhing sound. Mm -hmm. So our uplifting moment, this is where we share any grounding techniques or self-care that have been helping us recently. Um, Grounding techniques and coping are little tips, tricks, mantras um, that help us get through tough moments or days. And self-care can be anything we do to take care of ourselves or anything that helps us feel better when we're not feeling so good. So would anyone care to share grounding or self-care that has been particularly effective recently? Well, I mean, I'm not quite sure if this is what you're looking for, but I found that for me, particularly during the pandemic, that's something I find that is really oddly comforting to me is um, blocks of old commercials on YouTube. Oh, wow. Um, it's, and there's tons, there's so many of them. There, there's 70s, there's 80s, there's 90s commercial blocks. There's just, there's just like anything you you could imagine finding from your childhood is going to be there and and I mean I don't intently watch them but a lot of times I'll have them on as background noise Mm -hmm. and it's just a sort of like soothing blanket of nostalgia to wrap Mm -hmm. myself in when 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 the current world feels just a little too cold and dangerous Mm -hmm. so I definitely would recommend that as it's a you know a very simple comforting technique that you you know, you could find one from whatever particular era that you were a child. I was a child, you know, in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. So there is a, you know, a ton of, of, of those from that time period. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a, you know, basically a, a, a bottomless source. Totally. I never would have thought of that, but that sounds yeah. really cool. No, those are, that's an awesome idea. I, I put together a playlist of like 30 minutes of commercials from like old horror movies and, uh, McDonald's toys and spirit Halloween from the 70s and 80s and would play that on a loop during Halloween season that's awesome. oh that's you're absolutely right I do really like to watch the old trailers for movies mm-hmm. oh, yeah just kind of yeah. get like one like it makes you more excited to watch the movie I think but it's also like it puts you in the mindset of the time period totally. you know because it's either mm-hmm. the 90s with that that one night you know in that a guy. World. yeah mm-hmm. exactly yeah yeah that's what I'm talking about totally um, and then if it was like the 70s, everything was like, this movie, <laughs> right. well, do shit to you, like, <laughs> right, 
Uh, and then if it were the 50s, it was like made by a doctor, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was just everything was a PSA. And if it was the 1890s, it would have been, yeah, the the Gary Oldman with the tiny sunglasses. And then. Right. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I would have seen that movie. I want to yeah. keep going back in time doing movie trailers from different <laughs> eras now. OK. Do the 1500s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, illuminated manuscripts come up. Anyway. OK. OK. Stop. Stop. Right. <laughs> um, well, my thing this week, honestly, has been this movie. Like, I've watched it, like, three times, I think. And I've been listening to the song, like, on repeat because it's just, it's so soothing to me. This is, like, one of my top comfort horror movies. So I am just love to, like, drink it in, like I said. But I've also been watching The West Wing. That was my rewatch for now. And I full disclosure, there are some political things that don't quite hold up and that are pissing me off a little more on this watch. And I also think there's valid criticism in the way Aaron Sorkin writes female characters. So just getting that out of the way. But I also like really love this show. And there's been something like really soothing to see like government functioning, you know, and like people making good faith arguments with each other that has been very very soothing and I'm getting to the end of it. I'm like, Oh, maybe I should have watched it over again. So, you know, that's one of my big go-to comfort horror shows, no. not comfort horror comfort. I mean, I guess <laughs> politics has kind of been horrific recently. So, you know, comfort anti-horror, uh, right. <laughs> and I think that's a good way to approach it. It's just, if you, something that hasn't necess- not necessarily aged perfectly, acknowledge the problems and then just let yourself enjoy it. You know, it's a really good right. tactic. The problems don't overtake my enjoyment of the show, which is why I continue to watch it. Right. I know for me, like I've been like trying to take myself off a line a little bit more to take more time to read. Mm. Um, because I just find that like I remember, you know, because and then you'll pop back online. Like I think I spent like two hours just engrossed in a book, hopped on Twitter and I'm like, Jewish space lasers. And I'm like, I am done tonight. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. You know, I'm like, that's enough interneting for one night. So <laughs> And I would say like one recommendation I'll give if you want a great audio book um, and you're interested in this topic. I love audio uh, Elizabeth Kostova wrote her debut novel is called The Historian. (gasps) It is done in the, I think it's the Episcopatory model. Like that kind of, thank you. That kind of like letter writing back and forth. But again, it presumes the historical figure of Vlad Dracula um, becoming a vampire and it's kind of the hunt for his body. And it takes place across like the 1920s and 60s um it's a lot of it takes place during like the uh height of the cold war in eastern europe (laughs) it is incredibly engrossing and what i love about the audiobook is uh the abridged version has more of this uh the uh, the abridged version is a little bit more different persons read different parts Mm. of this it's almost like a script so you're getting like this really amazing audio drama and there are parts of the book that are terrifying as well. Like it's just so well done. And I think I'm do a re-listen because the other stuff I'm reading right now, like I am like knee deep in reading books about, oh, the formation of like the White Brotherhood in the 1980s mm. and like Ruby Ridge. Oh, and that shit, yeah. <laughs> I've gone down those rabbit holes. You know, oh my God, it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. It's like, I remember I, I was reading it. I put it down and my wife and I look at one another and I'm like, do we need because we live in a pretty conservative town despite it being massachusetts 
Um, and I'm like, do we need some sort of like, do we need to arm ourselves at some point for what might be oh, coming? God, I think about this yeah. shit like, all the time. You know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which is really, I cannot imagine me holding a gun and not shooting my dick off, even if it was unloaded. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, you are statistically more likely to shoot your dick off if you own a gun. Yeah. So. To yeah. Be, to so be fair, we're thinking, yeah. facts. <laughs> we're thinking maybe bear spray is something we would get, like, get a, which I think I would. Crossbow. Oh my God. I would not. Pew, pew. I would, I, yeah. What am I, like, Kevin? What am I, what am I, Kevin? <laughs> no, you're like Huntress in Birds of Prey. Because that movie is amazing. Oh, thank you. She's like, no, I'm not so, a kid. This is a crossbow. So, all right. But I would say read, um, read the historian if you, if you really, it, it really goes into the history of, of Ladricool in a wonderful way. And, oh, I can't say enough good things called so that. up my alley that I might immediately yeah. try to get it. Yeah, the historian by Elizabeth Costava. Yeah, so as far as my self-care, I, I had a really bad week and just a series of things piled up, you know, becoming a straw that breaks the camel's back situation. And um, I've just been like having to realize how much my mental health has regressed this year. Uh, just not all the time even, but I'll have these moments um, where I just feel like I'm 16 again, you know, like all those mm -hmm. old insecurities and things that I thought I had kind of worked on and if not like put to rest at least like had a really really strong handle on those insecurities and and various and just my depression has been pretty bad and stuff because it's you know the wind the winter on top of the pandemic on top of a like, coming up on a year of almost total isolation in terms of you know physically being isolated alone um and you know just shit with work was upsetting me and and i guess the moral of the story is like i remembered to talk to people a few people like I talked to my manager directly I talked to some friends about it and um that really helped <laughs> and I know that sounds really obvious and stupid but like I do this thing and, and it's part of those old issues flaring up where I just avoid and I isolate and I just don't tackle the thing that's upsetting me I again that's again like something I thought I had stopped doing and I realized I'd been doing it like a lot and <laughs> It helped to talk to people and talk about mm -hmm. it, you know. I also am only talking to my therapist once a month now because she doesn't take my insurance, so I have to pay out of pocket. And so I'm like, oh, I just got really in my head, and actually mm -hmm. talking to people really helped. <laughs> and that's the that's the the lesson of the day. <laughs> and and yeah. it was just one of those things where I felt so stupid that I let it like build up and get so stressful. And then I was like, you dumbass, like, but also you heroic woman for, for, right. <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to not do negative self-talk also. That's yeah. also part of it. Cause it's hard. It's hard to talk about that stuff, you know, yeah. and I had a similar thing happen recently where I was really, really struggling with this one thing, which was just like announcing this cool project I'm excited about, but it was because there was this thing in my past that like kept blocking it and talking about it in therapy, like released it, you know, and I was like, okay, now it's out it's a known quantity and I can kind of work past it a little bit, but, but it's hard to get to that point, you mm -hmm. know? So I think that's great that, that, you know, you were able to do that. Thank you. Well, we want to know what you in the world think. Do you also love Bram Stoker's Dracula? Uh, what grounding and self-care is working for you right now? What else is on your mind? What do you think about writhing? Uh, you can share, <laughs> you can share this with, um, you can share with us by following us at psycho a pod on socials. You can also join our Facebook group, the psychoanalysis podcast support group, which is a private and moderated group where we can share a little more privately, or you can email us at psycho at gmail.com. 
if you'd like to share completely privately. And if you like what we do, you could leave us a review. It really helps people find the pod and it makes us feel good. So thank you for those who have already left a review. And for those of you who are about to do it right now and might be finding your phones, uh, it really only takes a minute um, and it really means a lot to us. So we would love that. Um, And our homework question for this week. And Laura, this was yours. Would you care to read it? So... I just want to know if any of you out there, not saying that I was like this when I was 13 <laughs> at all, uh, did you ever want to be a vampire? Come on, fess up. Tell us your most mm-hmm. embarrassing fashion choices, um, <laughs> weird fan fiction that you wrote. Like, what's yeah. the most humiliating aspect of that time in your life? Just <laughs> tell us all about it. I love the uh, the recent tweet where it was like a picture of like the emo kids, like all emoed out and then just like a kid in a hoodie. He's like, this is what your emo face probably was like. <laughs> and that was my goth face. I was like, I painted my nails black. I'm a goth, you know, like, <laughs> that, not quite. Yeah. I mean, I was an emo kid, but it was like hoodies and yeah, it was hoodies. It definitely wasn't dressing <laughs> like a vampire. I, I there was a lot of horrible fashion choices that I made over the years and God bless my parents for tolerating it because they just kind of my mom would definitely criticize everything I wore but um then just let it happen mm-hmm. so you know. I, I was just emo when I was just sad <laughs> you know that was my emo face <laughs> Well, speaking of what's next for us, we are continuing our theme of generational trauma, and we're watching one of my favorite movies, Candyman, and nobody else say it anymore because we know we know what's going to happen. So stay tuned for that. Um, you can also listen to our first episode on generational trauma, which was Get Out, which came out last week in the time continuum that we are on presently. And so we are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. You can find us here and there, along with some other fantastic pods like the Losers Club, Halloweenies, and Going There with Dr. Mike uh, by going to consequenceofsound.com. You can also find lots of pop culture writing and TV and film reviews and stuff like that. Um, Gina, where can we find you online and what is coming up for Kill by Kill? I am the co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast in which we uh, talk about horror movies, uh, focusing on the characters. Uh, after a, uh, a short break, we are going to be um, doing episodes on the 1981 movie The Fan, which uh, if you guys ever do a, uh, a series on like stalking or you know, people who get obsessed with uh, I think the condition is called erotomania when you uh, you tend to think that a person who doesn't actually know you is attracted to you. I highly recommend the fan. Again, it's a campy delight. Um, nice. We're also going to be getting into Scream 2. Um, so we good. also do, as a side project, uh, you guys, we, we did we briefly, briefly touched upon Hannibal here. We do a side project uh, called Dish by Dish, in which we uh, do, do an episode by episode breakdown of Hannibal. Uh, we just finished uh, season one, and then we're going to take a brief hiatus, and probably in a couple of weeks, going to get back into season two. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, you just look us up under Kill by Kill. Um, I'm also a writer at thespool.net. Um, I do TV and movie reviews. Uh, right now, as I record this, I'm in the middle of reviewing movies for the, the Sundance Festival. Oh, wow. uh, I have also recently covered, um, what have I covered? Uh, I did a piece on Zodiac 
not too far back. And I also tend to cover a lot of what Shudder puts out. Mm. Cool. Yeah. And Clint Worthington is, uh, doesn't he run the spool? He does. Yeah. He's my editor. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. He oh, he's a, he's a joy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, Mike, where can we find you online? So first, I want to say how much I love Kill by Kill. It is, oh, thank uh, you. Thank you so much. I adore that show. I think what you and Patrick have going on there is such a blast. And it's just like the rapport the two of you have and the way you, that you seamlessly weave guests in and out is just really wonderful. Thank so you so much. Like, please give that show a listen. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find my other show, The Pod and the Pendulum, with my co-host, Lindsay Travis. Uh, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Like, we are a horror movie podcast that does all franchises, one movie and one episode at a time. We've just wrapped up Sinister. Uh, matter of fact, I literally just posted the episode for Sinister 2 right before we started tonight. And we are now taking a dive into uh, the world of, like, extreme French horror. So we have, like martyrs coming up inside coming up raw coming up it's gonna Speaking be of skinlessness like yeah so i'm, I'm looking <laughs> yes. i'm looking for oh uh frontiers i know we're doing so we have some really great guests lined up for that and then we're planning the rest of our year but it looks like we're going to tackle like the evil dead the purge insidious as well as some other fun things so go to look for pod and the pendulum wherever you get your shows you can find me at pod and pend over on twitter as well as mike underscore snoonian over on twitter and then i think next time we record i'll have some shows i've guested on that i can Hmm. talk about as well because why not hear more of my dulcet (laughs) dunk laura where can we find you Uh, well you can find me on twitter at underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S, just like the billowing white petticoats, pantaloons, bloomers, I should say, starched stockings, and button um, <laughs> spats that consist of the entire Victorian undercarriage. Under at underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S. <laughs> so that's where you can find me on Twitter. And um, it's good for catching yourself a nice young solicitor, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, or a count. To- <laughs> Just rip it all Whoa. off and let you run around <laughs> nude like the enlightened woman you are. Uh, anyway, where am I going with this? Uh, oh, also <laughs> on Instagram at Instaglum, Instagram with a mood disorder. Um, and it's, that's where you can find me. I'm sometimes on Halloweenies, sometimes on Losers Club. And otherwise, um, just in my straight jacket with really long arms, <laughs> eyes and baskets attacking me. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> Oh, you can find me at Jim Ferratu on all of the socials, Jen with two N's. And uh, you can also find me on the Losers Club talking the stand, desperation, and the regulators are what is coming up. I feel like I've been talking about that for a long time, but it's actually happening. And I just announced that I'm starting a new thing. Um, and I still have a lot of feelings about it, but it is going to be a blog. So um, check out my socials if you want more information about that. And now I'll go back to just silently working through my feelings until <laughs> actually that was the thing that I talked about and it helped me a lot. So mm-hmm. um, so you can find me there and find more. If you want more information about that, I'll be posting it once my feelings get worked through. Um, 
And so that's our episode on Bram Stoker's Dracula. Gina, thank you so much for joining us. This was so thank much you. Fun. It was a delight. Thank oh, you. Absolutely. So much fun. Um, thank you. Listeners, thank you for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. And we hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day. Let's sign off. Um, we came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And we are oh, all out oh, of oh, bubblegum. Oh, no. bubble Consequence Podcast Network.